Welcome to The Deep End by On Deck, a podcast where visionary builders, creators, and thinkers discuss world-changing stories and ideas. I'm your host, Marshall Kozlov. Let's dive in. You know, thinking more as a as a business owner and thinking more as a that you're actually a startup yourself. And um, I think that's something a lot of creators are reaching, you know, out to me and are, um, are asking me like, I'm like a startup, but I cannot really raise, you know, VC money like a startup, right? Like, what are different ways for me? How can I incentivize team members? I cannot give equity away similar to a startup, right? On Deck is where ambitious people worldwide go to start companies, find their next roles, and invest in their careers. The Deep End invites founders, operators, and investors from the On Deck community and beyond to turn their experiences into the ideas others need to start their own odysseys. Joining me in the Deep End is Jen Fan. Jen is the co-founder and CEO of Passion Fruit. She's also an alum of On Deck No Code, which past Deep End guest KP runs. This conversation builds off of past creator economy tool discussions that we've had with other guests like Joe Albanese and Josh Kaplan. Passion Fruit helps creators manage back office operations so that creators can focus on their content. Our discussion today considers European creators. Passion Fruit is based in Berlin, and Jen is aware of how many creator tools to date have been US-centric. We also chat about helping creators think of themselves as startups, disconnect between tech Twitter and a creator's day-to-day, and much, much more. All right, here's the episode with Jen. Jen Fan, welcome to the Deep End. Hi, Marsha. Thanks for hosting me. Yeah, I'm excited to speak with you. These are some of my favorite topics to focus on. Let's just start in the category that you and your startup Passion Fruit are in. What drove your interest in the creator economy space and the no-code space, which is really at the integration of what you're building? Yeah, exactly. We're at the intersection of um, of both um, areas, which I think are two of the most uh, exciting uh, trends, uh, which have a huge impact on our society. And maybe starting with uh, with a little bit of background um, where I, where I come from uh, and how uh, our you know background approach uh, informed also our approach. Um, so I was until uh, last summer actually in the VC world, uh, sitting on the other side of the table, working as a VC investor, and that was my day job. Um, and obviously, you know, looking into um, the market, more and more companies in, in the passion economy or creator economy were popping up. But actually, I never found the right approach or the right team to make a bet on. And at the same time, um, Corona hit, right? So there were a lot of things happening, um, climate crisis, Corona, Black Lives Matter, Asian hate crimes. And I was personally looking for a way to channel my emotions and voice actually my opinion and bypass gatekeepers. And I actually found it in writing. So I just started uh, Tech for Good as a newsletter experiment where I wanted to um, share more light on, you know, 
technologies and startups which have a positive impact on our society and environment, share more about my personal experiences, but also write a lot about the topic of diversity, uh, equity and inclusion in our society, especially in the tech world. And I got really good feedback from the ecosystem on that uh, and really enjoyed creating content. And at the same time, I founded a community. Uh, it's called Two Hearts, uh, built it up from zero to 700 community members. Most of the people have a uh, immigration background uh, because I just saw as an investor the lack of diversity, obviously, on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis. And I think just being in between those two worlds, you know, being a VC investor during the day, but then also in the evenings, until late night, on the weekends, creating content and building a community and doing that on the side actually really made me question myself and made me consider leaving the venture world and doing this full time um, and going solo and building a business around that, uh, around content. And I think that's also when it hit me um, that I understood that if, you know, I as a VC coming from kind of the boring financial industry consider becoming a creator and making this as a viable career path that means that you know anyone can become a creator and it's not the uh, influencers uh, you would usually associate with um, on Instagram posting I don't know uh, bikini pictures but it's really like uh, around expertise knowledge etc right so from there I went on to talk with many many creators out there people who are uh, newsletter writers podcasters youtubers and what I saw at the end of the day was um, that most of those people interestingly even though there was so much hype and content being created from the VC and startup world about creators most of them didn't even you know know that they are part of that movement they actually called themselves um, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a founder, I'm a yeah, media startup founder, I have a, my own brand. So that's also what we're trying to, um, to, to, to have with Passion Fruit is how do we kind of transition and help them from um, shifting from being a content creator and starting something as a side project similar to me to actually becoming, you know, the founder of your business. And then I think the no-code art or aspect came in or comes in, um, I think, through two reasons. One is that we just talk to lots of customers. So we've done, I think, over 200 user interviews and really, really dig deep into their workflows. Uh, we worked as a COO uh, for creators together to understand their processes and workflows uh, on a day-to-day -day level. And then I actually also did the on deck no-code fellowship. And I think what I when going through that on deck fellowship, I was thinking to myself the whole time, you know, actually what creators need is kind of a on deck no-code ops associate, which you pair with um, creators together who would then help them to automate, you know, all their very manual, repetitive tasks and workflows. And I think that kind of then formed what passion fruit is about uh, at the intersection of uh, creator economy and, and no code. So many good things here to get into. Let's start in no particular order with the creator economy discourse. 
If anyone spends any time on Twitter, they will remember that around this time last year, there was all of this very aggressive energy, funding, and attention going into the creator economy space. The money's still there, the passion's still there, but it seems as if the narrative has at least moved on a bit towards, let's say, more Web3-centric topics. Yeah, that's a super good point. Um, I think at the end of the day, what keeps us centered um, are our users and our creators. So while I, you know, do understand, and there has been this shift in into Web three, um, which, which, yeah, totally makes sense. I think from where we are coming from is what we want to achieve is kind of solving first the problems actually for creators in the Web2 world and then transitioning with them into Web3. So what I mean by that concretely is that a lot of creators right now are having very, you know, trivial problems. They're running, right, like their media empires generating millions in terms of revenue. Um, and then they're stitching tools together with Notion and Google spreadsheets uh, and their personal credit card. So... You know, basically, this is what they're kind of struggling with right now. And I believe that when I talk to the creators, it was already, there's a lot of education, which even has to be done around like, hey, you need to kind of, you know, set yourself up as a business, having an operative system, having workflows, having processes, providing, you know, a cash flow management tool for them to understand more on the long term the, the planning, the financial health of their business. So I think if this is not even solved right now, for me, at least from my perspective, um, I think there are pressing issues right now, which we want to solve and then basically um, see what sticked throughout the entire hype right now around Web3 and then obviously, you know, collaborate and, and work together with, uh, with partners on that. We have also, you know, um, angel investors from Coinbase uh, and, and Passion Fruit and other Web3 Metaverse uh, angels. So it's something which we have long term uh, or a midterm on our roadmap. But we feel that right now the most pressing issues when talking to actual creators in right now is not around what many startups uh, yeah, are tackling with Web3. Jen, that's such a useful way of framing this because as a podcaster myself, Web3 ideas, crypto, NFTs, communities at a deeper level than just a subscriber newsletter list are very interesting. But at the end of the day, my actual problem is that I'm really bad at running the business side of my actual podcast. And that's where the opportunity is. So your company is staying centered on those facts are going to keep you grounded as you're shifting through the narrative bits here. Something I'm curious about, though, is as you describe yourself, you're someone who has worked as a VC, you are a creator yourself now because you write, and you're also a founder. When you're looking at this intersection of the creator economy space with the no-code space, what do you think people in all three of those categories are getting wrong about it? So like, what is a VC looking at this space and missing? What is a founder not quite understanding about working with creators? And then where's the gap for a creator themselves as they actually get into turning themselves into a business? 
these are a lot of different levels. So I will try to go one by one. We we just recently went through the fundraising process, right? Um, so we just raised 3.4 million in terms of pre-seed uh, for the first round. And I had the pleasure to talk with many VCs on our thesis regarding the, the space. I think many um, VCs who might mm, get things wrong are um, that could be around the market size. So a lot of VCs are still, you know, try to talk about what's the TAM here, which is kind of really difficult to de to to define. Um, but also kind of um, what they got wrong was, uh, or what I believe they got wrong is that, for example, the um, the the market is just not big enough, you know, like um, uh, there are just not enough people who would do that or spend money basically on that. So I think in general, it's something where the society is heading already towards too. And I think it's really difficult to grasp for, for, for some VCs um, how big this can really actually get. That I think was one thing um, from a founder perspective. And that was my point in the beginning is that there was so much, you know, um, hype and, and as you mentioned last year, you know, like, uh, funding, um, thrown into uh, the creator economy sector. So many startups popping up, everyone addressing like, um, different kind of angles of the creator economy and everyone starting to build for it. Which I think overall is great because the market or the target group itself has just been underserved so far in the last years. I think though what many are not getting right is just kind of how do you translate um, basically, you know, what you believe creators should use or how they should make money into their actual problems. So as I said, a lot of great content was being, um, you know, created around the creator economy. Everyone started to talk about it. But then when I actually went to the actual creators and users, um, you know, they've never heard of those terms. They never heard of um, those newsletter writers who are writing basically about them. Um, so I think just this mismatch or this disconnect sometimes between, you know, kind of, um, I would say the Twitter tech bubble um, into then the actual reality of a creator is something which I found quite interesting and surprising. Most of them didn't even know about all the tools that are being built for them right now. Um, so I think that's something from, you know, more the founder perspective. And I think, um, the, the last perspective from, from a creator point of view is again, like, you know, thinking more as a, as a business owner and thinking more as a, mm, that you're actually a startup yourself. And, um, I think that's something a lot of creators are reaching, you know, out to me and are, um, are asking me like, I'm like a startup, but I cannot really raise, you know, VC money like a startup, right? Like what are different ways for me? How can I incentivize team members? I cannot give equity away similar to a startup, right? So I think it's a very, yeah, interesting intersection and, and, um, yeah, and, and a lot from a lot to learn from each other. And something that's really interesting there is how do you think about the creator? funding creator equity question 
like I said, as a VC, but also as as a founder themselves, because you're initially starting to see these conversations around founders, I mean, founders of creator, um, creators raising money, but that tends to sort of be a little after the fact. So after they are big on YouTube or after they're big on TikTok, they can raise money in certain contexts. But how how do you advise people when they bring that conversation up to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm um, trying to basically just translate the learnings from more the startup tech world into how that could look like for them. I mean, it starts with actually incorporating your business. You know, that's one thing. Um, a lot of creators are still working as private individuals or a freelancer uh, kind of a, um, status and are running their business from their personal credit card, right? So actually setting up and incorporating yourself as a business and then actually um, trying to think around um, incentivizing like employees by um, revenue share model or actually giving equity away. Yeah, and then I think there are obviously tools which are being built right now, which I think are necessary uh, to provide working capital for creators for exactly these kind of use cases. I know that there are some big creators like, you know, Marina, who's been uh, actually funded by um, by a VC firm, which is super cool and an interesting model. But I'm yet to see, like, you know, how this plays out. I think they are getting uh, also a certain percentage of her revenue per year, um, so that's an interesting model, um, but there's not these, this kind of exit uh, necessarily scenario, which you usually have in the startup world, right? So I think for now it's around that and then providing basically working capital, which uh, a couple of startups are also working on right now. And something I'm curious about here is in your funding announcement, you said something that really resonated with me, which was that creators right now are spending 70% of their time on business activities and only 30% actually creating content. At Passion Fruit, what do you think the balance should look like between the running your media empire to actually creating content? And how can no-code tools like the ones you're building actually help get to that proper balance? So what our goal with Passion Fruit is actually helping creators um, reaching two thresholds. So one is actually achieving financial sustainability. So that means actually getting paid, understanding your cash flow as a business owner. And the second is um, actually emotional sustainability. So avoiding burnout. Um, a lot of creators we talk to, I think, are in you know this vicious cycle of not understanding and having transparency of over your business as a creator, thus, you know, taking on more work, creating more content. Um, so these two things are something where we want to help with um, in terms of reducing the administrative part. And where no code comes into place is really on one hand, a lot of creators or every creator has their own individual workflow, right? Like you are doing things differently than maybe uh, another podcaster. Um, so that's where we believe in uh, the, the no code or customization part should come in so that you basically are um, in the driver's seat of deciding, you know, what kind of products or services as, as a multi-skew creator do I want to provide? Um, what should like, 
what how should my um, you know monetization or sales process look like? How can I streamline that? Um, how should my CRM you know uh, be uh, aligned or uh, be working? Um, and then basically just having kind of building blocks and setting this up gives you back the power and puts you back into the driver's seat. Um, so for now, we feel like a lot of creators are just being, you know, bombarded with uh, requests uh, from brands, from companies, people who want to come on their podcast, people who want to collaborate with them together, people who want to sponsor their YouTube video, etc. So on average, they're sitting two hours per day going through each one of those opportunities and then actually answering back um, manually. So it's, you know, very, very energy draining, um, the kind of work they're doing. So what we're trying with, um, passion fruit as a, as a no-code tool is kind of trying to shifting this power dynamics back to the creator instead of to the external party who's reaching out to them. And then also, um, in terms of the workflows and, and in terms of just, understanding the health of your business and giving you this ease of mind i think that's something which yeah which which we 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 see as a big big pain point to solve for and, and speaking of your fundraising announcement at this point you are one of the largest funded um, early stage creator economy companies in europe what does the European creator economy space tend to look like in the first place? The conversations that we've had on this podcast, and at least narratively speaking, tend to be very US centric. So what does the European side of the ledger really look like? Overall, so we see ourselves more also as a global company who's happened to be based in Europe, right? And in Berlin. So um, my co-founder, Michelle, she actually is from Silicon Valley, worked at Airbnb, uh, and then recently um, at Shopify uh, in, in Berlin. My other co-founder, Jens, he was actually also uh, on deck founder fellow. Um, he has actually roots in India, worked there for a long time. And then both of us, Jens and I, we grew up actually in Europe. So we really bring in this global perspective, and that's also how we approach it so far. We, so we have creators we're working with, you know, um, in the US, uh, in Europe and Asia, India. And I think especially Asia, India is a exploding market. Um, so I think that's more kind of our approach. In terms of specifically Europe, uh, I would say that, as I said, right, like there was more content around the creator economy being created in, I would say, in the US than here in Europe. And it's something where more and more people are being um, slowly, yeah, just educated uh, on uh, and understanding the p potential on. But I would say otherwise, the pain points, the problems, the kind of things they need, why they love passion fruit didn't actually differ at all uh, when we talk to U.S. creators versus uh, European creators. That's really interesting. And given the global nature of your company, why are you based in Berlin? Not in an accusatory <laughs> sense, just in the sense of if you could live different places, that this is a big post, not post, but this is a big post 2020 thing why why are you based in berlin and how does that reflect your ambitions as a company yeah um 
because Berlin is like a super cool city, um, so all of us three co-founders are, you know, living and based here. We worked also before here. And Berlin itself is a very, very artsy city, actually. So it fits very much with the whole, you know, um, sense of the creator economy. There were a lot of artists, musicians, DJs, um, creative people here. So that's very much the core of, of the city. Um, and there's great, you know, also talent here um, from around um, Europe, etc. So we just feel that as a city itself, it fits very much to the creator economy. I think it's a little bit what maybe LA is to the US, uh, coming more from the, I would say, film industry space. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a very similar yeah, to, you know, Spotify, uh, who happened to sit in, in Stockholm and building a huge consumer business out of there. That's kind of the same um, analogy we have with passion fruit. I think that's also what doesn't limit us to only a certain region only. I think a lot of U.S. Um, companies usually are targeting the U.S., which is fine because it's a big enough market. But I think um, being based in Europe and having all those different you know, very diverse uh, customer base anyway as creators just immediately forces us to think very, very globally, right? And um, building for a global uh, and diverse customer base. Something that's interesting here and is a recurring theme throughout this episode is that in the year 2022, everyone is seeming to have to wear different hats. You have to wear your podcasting hat. You have to wear your founder hat. You have to wear your investor VC hat. And you actually took on creators as investors in the Passion Fruit platform. So two questions coming from that. Number one would be, what drove the thinking there? Because I think this is a very interesting idea of um, actually bringing in creators uh, specifically for um, creator economy platforms. But then two, what is your advice for creators who are having to now have the opportunity or to even consider the fact that, hey, I could actually invest in things. I could actually be driving value. What What were you as a founder looking at for when it came to onboarding uh, creators in that way? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, out of basically our um, angel investors, 30% are actually uh, creators themselves. And um, many of them were also creators we actually, you know, uh, worked with in uh, in, in the past months um, in terms of just, you know, um, talking with them, doing all the user research and user interviews. So it was just kind of a natural evolution um, of, um, of inviting them to invest in the round as well. Um, I think two things uh, on that, which, which is important. So one is that why we as a team also set out to build for creators is that the really big mission for us or the big why and what drives us is actually because we deeply believe that the creator economy as well as no code are contributing to a more diverse and inclusive and equitable society because you don't depend anymore on, you know, the big institutions, gatekeepers on actually knowing how to code, etc. But you can, you know, just 
go out there and start um, to to create content and to build actually a software um, with no uh, code skills needed. So that has a super empowering aspect. Um, and we really believe that through that, more and more people are just, you know, able to then voice their opinion, bypass gatekeepers. Um, and that's what we set out for as a team also who is, you know, super diverse in terms of gender, ethnicity, but also, you know, a lot of other factors. And I think that's super important. And that means also that how do we, you know, how can we create a more equitable society um, in terms of wealth creation as well, right? And wealth is being created in the startup world by equity ownership. So if we truly want to empower creators economically and individually, then in my opinion, we should also, you know, give them access to equity and owning equity. And this is so much more valuable than actually having, you know, I don't know, a one-off sponsorship deal, right? So I think it's more around this kind of um, philosophy, which we have as a company. And that's why it was super important for us to um, to to include them. And as I said, the second thing is really just that we really build very deep and close relationships with our creators. You know, we see them as our advisors, friends, um, sparing partners. And um, there, it was a natural extension then to evolution then to invite them to the round um, and then work closely with them now in terms of product development uh, and content uh, creation, right? Like at the end of the day, our goal is to be not only a tech company, but a creator company ourselves to really live and breathe that. So we're actually hiring uh, a creator in who is our founding creator um, to build up a creative studio within Passion Fruit and creators, our creators who are, you know, also angel investors. Uh, obviously, we, we see that as a, yeah, just a win-win for, for both sides. Like, how can we help you to grow as a business owner and how can you, you know, support us uh, in, in help building uh, Passion Fruit? Could you tell me more about the creator studio idea. That's really, that's that the creative studio idea, because that's, that's interesting because that's a type of role that you're starting to see discussed a little more, but it's still new to the framework. So can you expand on that? I mean, um, it's something we're, we're also experimenting or exploring still, right? But we ask ourselves in terms of the founding team members who are the first key hires also, you know, we, we, we want to make what sets the tone of the company. So that is, for example, design, um, which is super, super important for us. Um, obviously then the devs, but then also already, uh, the, the founding creator. So there we're actually looking for creators who, yeah, maybe even never worked in a startup before and, and, you know, even proper company, uh, but are just content creators on YouTube, Twitter, etc. And then, yeah, getting them on board uh, as a founding team member and then building up the creative studio. So really adjacent to our product, building up a creative studio, which has then um, um, where she's then responsible or he is responsible to hire, um, you know, creatives, art directors, um, to come up with different formats, uh, content formats, and building up this collective of, of you know, creatives within Passion Fruit as well. Something I'd like to get in is how do you translate 
these really interesting ideas that folks are putting out there around the creator economy to the actual creators themselves. So for example, you mentioned this term in your fundraising announcement. It's a term that I actually really identified with, but it's because I'm a nerd and I read creator economy stuff for fun. Um, just the idea of a multi-skew creator. Um, so if, if, if you could explain like what that idea is and then how one goes from translating the very sort of thought piece, median, substack post stuff to people who are actually confronting and thinking about these issues. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, um, so on one hand, Maldi's queue is, um, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously in the tech world, it's quite clear, but um, a lot of creators we, we talk with, and I think also how we think about more building up this middle class of creators is that most of the creators are still, you know, relying on several revenue streams, different kind of productized services, and are not, you know, able to depend only on one certain platform or one certain revenue stream. So while I think that the concept or idea of 100 true fans um, is great, um, that you can you know, rely solely on 100 um, super fans of yours, I think that just right now, this is not the reality when, when we look at um, how creators are right now still monetizing, which is stitching just together different kinds of um, revenue streams, right? So most of them are do, I don't know, one-on-one -on -one, um, coaching calls or consulting calls, speaker engagements, um, sponsorship in their newsletter, um, ad placement, uh, etc. So this is kind of the multi-skew um, we're, we're referring to. And we believe that right now, at least at this moment of point of time is where a lot of um, energy draining work is still coming from, you know, like managing all of that. How, to, how do I actually market myself? How do I come with numbers uh, and prices for it? What is actually a fair price? What does the industry say? negotiating prices, um, the whole email back and forth. So I think that's kind of uh, what what we saw in terms of just, yeah, current realities. Um, and that's where we will have for now at least uh, the biggest impact for creators who are not, you know, huge and have uh, um, millions of, uh, of, of um, subscribers. Um, but we also worked with uh, a couple of uh, um, creators like Ali Abdal, who's also part of our um, angel uh, group, for example. And, you know, even he, while I think he actually has, you know, a, a, a team and uh, maybe even agency behind, etc., even he saw um, great value for himself, but also hundreds of other creators uh, in, in the product. So I think that there are um, a lot of things which resonate with um, creators. And the second thing is, yeah, how do you actually translate that? I think that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of the key question, right? Like how do we translate tech and business savvy um, context? into something which um, kind of resonates with creators. And I think it really comes down then to the messaging, the, the copying you need to work with then um, having then creators in who, you know, really speak much more authentically probably um, in, in sim more simple words to creators than maybe, you know, us both. And you said a 
very important phrase because it it's really evocative, but it also speaks to how your startup could achieve its real long-term vision, which is this idea of the creator middle class. Um, this is something that people like Lee Jin um, of Atelier Ventures have written about. Like, what, what is what is your why does that term resonate with you? And to what degree do you feel it's possible? Because on my personal level, I, I agree. I agree with the vision. The part where I'm more just skeptical on is just the fact that it's just so 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 difficult to really build out in these spaces. It's difficult to imagine a mass middle class of people who aren't Mr. Beast, obviously, but are still in this nice in-between zone. So like, why does the term resonate with you? And why are you optimistic about some possible future, especially with your company? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there are the parallel dynamics, which I um, totally get. But I think that's also why other platforms, which were founded, you know, in the past, um, such as Patreon, are not working for everyone, right? They're working mostly only for the big creators who bring already a large following uh, onto the platform um, because most of the people, I think same with Substack, uh, I think mostly it's 5 to 10% of the subscribers who are usually then really converting into paid subscribers. So I think you usually need to be rather larger to be able to afford your life as a creator. So that's how we then you know are came up with the approach of more helping the multi-skew creators as in the ones who do need to stitch together lots of different stuff because they're not able to afford their lives only with a Substack newsletter or only with a course and i do believe that if we you know create better tools for them and also better a better way to build a sustainable business then i think it is possible to have a larger middle class of creators. So what happens right now is that, you know, a lot of creators are starting out next to their full-time jobs, maybe as a passion project, starting to create content, really like it, but don't have any clue, you know, what it really takes or how long it will take to make it, right? To kind of get to the same um, kind of uh, salary level in order to make the jump. So we talk with a lot of creators who are side hustlers also and are, you know, thinking about um, at one point to, to become a full-time creator. And one interesting conversation I had was with a creator who just started out on YouTube. Uh, I think she's focusing on um, gaming as a woman. And she said that, you know, I was then sitting down with my dad and coming up with a plan. Where do I want to be in, you know, two, three years? What does it need to be a business what kind of errors does a business have what do i need to then you know work on how should my financial plan look like how much revenue should i create or generate each year how do i pitch myself how do i find sponsors how do i you know like market myself out there so i think it's kind of very similar to how in the end, like startups are also being founded, right? Like coming up with the idea, kind of a financial plan, which is anyway, usually never true, but uh, kind of having this mindset um, and, and really thinking and seeing then also the progress over time, because I think a lot of creators start out, but then, you know, um, give up um, because it also kind of is a very hard thing to do. And you just don't see maybe, you know, 
the the cash flow projection um, and helping you kind of to 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 plan an order for that. I think that's also where a lot of creators are giving up, and I think that's also what we want to help them with, like showing you know their their progress over time, showing their their cash flow management, showing. Um, how much they need to create, giving them tips on pricing, giving them tips on how they can market themselves better. Um, and in that sense, also becoming, being a creator, um, company ourselves, right? Like providing actually a lot of educational resources. I think it's a lot of education, which is needed to, to know like what it means to be a entrepreneur as a, as a creator. As we're nearing the end here, I've got a couple last broad question. So question number one would be, I really like your evocation of going around gatekeeping, rising the individual up. That being said, something I've found with a bunch of creators is that sometimes you could take those two points a little too seriously. So I run into creators who have a hard time recognizing that they need to actually take a team on to help them actually build out their product because they really resonate with the idea of the individual's elevation without understanding that the point there is more about control. It's more about someone not telling you what to do and what to say and less about doing everything by yourself. So how do you really think one could balance the opportunity that comes of individualism with the need if you really want to go all the way to still work with others, to still find companies such as yourselves, how do you just think about that dynamic? Yeah. Uh, I mean, hiring and building up a team is something which, uh, which I talk also very often with creators about, um, where to find talent, etc. It's an interesting point. I think at the end of the day, um, at least the creators I talk with are more drawn to working for themselves, right? Rather than working for someone and thus making the jump uh, out of uh, uh, the, the corporate career or, uh, or startup career. Um, so I think it's more around like working for yourself and having this kind of impact with you know, the knowledge you're sharing, the content you're sharing. Um, so I think that doesn't change actually too much um, if you're hiring on um, team members to help you out with that, right? So I think a lot of creators do understand that there are things, certain things that they just don't want to do. So a lot of them are actually, the first thing usually they're, you know, outsourcing is getting actually uh, a manager or an, uh, someone in who takes care of all the, sponsorships and deals and um, emails and etc so i think that's one of the first um, things you're looking out for and so i do see that it, it doesn't change too much the the philosophy of um, individuals over institutions it's just that it's a different dynamic it's still like having team members only kind of drive drives you actually towards that uh, objective i think and, and the last big question is a OnDeck centric one. So, you know, in many ways, OnDeck is obviously supporting founders at different levels. Um, you did two programs yourself, um, OnDeck No Code, OnDeck Founder Fellowship, and now you're on an OnDeck podcast. So I, I'm, I'm just curious, like how do, how do these three sort of 
programs, experiences you've really gone through? How, how does this kind of build together to provide something that's actually just useful for you? Because it, it, it's, it's important that as we're putting on multiple hats in different types of roles that you have experiences that can bring that all together. So I'm curious how that's played out on your end. I mean, first of all, I think it was when I did it last summer, it was basically the first thing I did after I quit my job. And I think I couldn't have, you know, asked for a better way to kind of go into the journey um, by joining the ODNC. Um, it was really mainly the the community, right? I think obviously everyone talks about it and everyone also kind of sees it, but I truly have to say that um, just how at least, you know, ODNC was run was amazing. The kind of individuals I got to meet along the way, um, obviously, at, especially on that no code, there are a lot of people who are, you know, builders, creators themselves, right? So I think that's something which also, yeah, deeply aligned uh, or informed also when, when, when we were building Passion Fruit, our approach. So I think that was um, one of the main things um, to highlight. It's really, you know, the community, the individuals, and kind of the mindset, at least in the ONDEC no-code fellowship, in terms of shifting, you know, from an idea person, which I am and was as a VC, like I look mainly into ideas, right? And then I evaluate them um, to actually a builder person. And that was a huge, you know, uh, transition kind of and, and started to build out my on my own first without basically technical co-founder uh the the first tools and i think that's something which is um super cool kind of how you call that journey you can go through um so that really shaped i think also um how we are you know thinking about building very community driven and also very empowering um and i think that's something which uh, which we highly appreciate uh, from OnDeck. Yeah, I think that's a great note to end it on. Well, Jen, this has been really great. Like I said, I love the space you're in. I think you have done a really great job of answering a lot of the questions as we're getting into this second round of the creator economy discussion. If this, if we'd recorded this last year, we would have talked about passion and the opportunity. And now that you've raised, now that we're at this point of 2022, it's really time to really like you said, transition from the yeah. idea stage to the building stage. And I'm just really excited to see you continue your personal journey and with your really great company. Um, actually, here's the real last question. Why do you spell the fruit part of passion fruit with F-R-O-O-T? Was, was passion fruit taken? Is there meaning? Is there something German about that? I'm just curious. Yeah. And so we're all 90s kids. So I don't know if you remember Fruit Loops. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a, a bit of the inspiration we got from. And obviously, Passion Fruit uh, itself, just in terms of the marketing, is a little bit difficult then to market because the actual Passion Fruit would, I guess, pop up um, the whole time. So that's more the, yeah, the, the, the meaning behind that, just making it. I think easier also for for marketing and being uh, fans of Fruit Loops when we were children. <laughs> it's always funny whenever you, you ask this type of question about a name because there's never some grand poetic. When I was five, I no, it, it's just <laughs> sort of you're like, look, marketing, <laughs> Fruit Loops, pretty yes. straightforward. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. Really appreciate it. 
Yeah. So maybe one last thing. So that was a you know answer for why the two O's, right? I think in terms of passion fruit itself, I think it's something just which also resonates with us, obviously because there's passion in the world, but also um, in terms of you know having kind of seeds uh, within the fruit. Um, which are kind of growing, which are your projects um, you're usually taking on as a multi-skew creator and being fruitful uh, since at the end of the day, our tool is kind of a productivity tool for creators as well. Um, I think that was kind of the reasoning why we went also for passion fruit. That's awesome. Well, Jen, this has been a really great episode. Best of luck and uh, hope you continue your journey successfully. Thank you. Thanks for joining us in the deep end. If you enjoyed your stay, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with your friends and colleagues to help grow the show with us. We've also got show notes and more episodes available at ideas.beyonddeck.com. See you next time.